with me for a little bit. 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel 18. And if you'd stand with me for just a moment. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. And uh, Memorial Day is something that, if I'm not uh, mistaken, came into being here in the United States after the First World War as a day to honor those that had given the ultimate sacrifice and had fallen in the line of duty. And um, my dad was in the military. Thankfully, he's still with us. Brother Dennis Schlier is also a veteran. He's still with us. And 75 years young as of this week, Brother Dennis, uh, congratulations. Um, but uh, we got other veterans in the room. To be clear, this is, tomorrow's not Veterans Day. I think you should always thank a vet, but tomorrow's more of a day to remember those who gave their life. And I've uh, I'm going to be taking my, my kids early in the morning to uh, a local cemetery and putting some flags out and things like that. You celebrate however you want. Nothing wrong with the barbecue and all that, but I, I want my kids to know uh, why we do this. And I want them to understand that there are people that do things in life that should be remembered. Um, and there are things that we should memorialize that we should honor. Um, in light of that, I was reading through in Second Samuel, look at uh, chapter 18, and kind of a tragic story about a young man named Absalom. And uh, those that are familiar with their Bibles will know that Absalom was the, the king that uh, stole the throne. He was not the king that God ordained, but he took the throne from his father David. And so uh, David and his mighty men go after Absalom, and they go after this young man, And uh, David's instructions are clear. He says, don't kill him, don't hurt him. Um, That was the instruction from David, who was Absalom's father. So many uh, stories in this uh, passage that really relate to parenting and fatherhood. I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. Maybe we'll explore that on Father's Day. But uh, look at 2 Samuel 18 and verse number 9. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak. And his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that, that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, Yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. In other words, Joab says, why didn't you kill Absalom? And this soldier goes, I'm not supposed to. And, and even if you give me all the treasures in the world, the king said not to hurt his son. Then said Joab, verse 14, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom. You say, what does that teach you? That teaches you that how you lead others has an effect on them. Joab basically says, hey, I'm going to throw darts, even though the king, the final authority in our land, said not to do that. I'm going to do my own thing because I know what's best. Because I know what's best, I don't care what the king said. There's so many lessons in this story. And, and, and so the, the young men fall, and, and, and they fall in line, they kill, they smite, and sl- they slay Absalom, verse 15. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 17. Look how Absalom dies. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now, I read all of that because if I had read verse 18 by itself, it wouldn't have made sense. But I really want to call your attention to verse 18. Because Absalom does something in verse 18 that shows me that in spite of how wicked Absalom was, he was at least aware of one thing. I'm not going to live forever on this earth. And I want people to remember me. We can argue about Absalom's motive for doing so. We can argue about Absalom's self-will and his rebellion and all that stuff. We could say that was, that's a problem, and you'd be right for saying that. But I at least want to read verse 18 and point out that generally speaking, people know inside of them there's a witness that tells them, someday I'm going to die. 
And when I pass off the scene, I hope someone remembers me. Look at verse 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. It is called on this day Absalom's place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask Brother Eric if you'd open us up, sir, in a word of prayer this morning. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me address something that I think is worth looking at. Uh, The Bible does not have contradictions in it, but the Bible is filled with apparent contradictions. You see what I mean by that? There are things that are written in one place, and you go to another place, it talks about the same thing, and it says something different. And so I want to point out an apparent contradiction, because here Absalom says in verse 18, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance, and yet... If you were to go back a couple chapters to chapter 14, look really quickly. We'll come right back. Look at chapter 14 and verse number 27. 2 Samuel 14, verse number 27. And under Absalom, there were born three sons. So what do we do with that? In one place, it says he's he's got three sons. In another place, he says, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And it says he is born to him three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. We understand why he named his daughter that from the other passage in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Having said all that, can I just say this? Uh, when you think that the Bible is contradicting itself, uh, you're wrong. The Bible does not contradict itself. So you go, well, what do we do with this? Well, how about this? Maybe his sons were estranged from him. Maybe his sons were not going to live on his legacy because they had the same relationship with him that Absalom had with his father. Consider that. Maybe it was this. Maybe that when he built the pillar, it was before he had sons. In either case, regardless if it was that or his sons had died before, uh, after the pillar was made. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this much. The Bible says he had three sons, and at the end, toward somewhere in his life, he looks at where he's at, and he goes, you know what? I've got no one to carry on my legacy. I'm going to do something so that the world doesn't forget that I was here. Let's be honest. Most of us are going to live, we're going to pass away, and our name is not going to show up in Time and Life magazine. They're not going to write about us. You might get a little spot in the newspaper out, yay big, if your family's willing to pay for it, call an obituary. And after that, I, I, I hate to break it to you, the world is going to move on for the most part. Now that You say, Pastor, that's kind of morbid. Why are, you kind of say, why are you saying that to me? I thought you were here to encourage me. We're going to get to that. But let me say this. From a human perspective, that's how it is. You live, and then you die. And most people will never know that you were here. But let's be honest, all of us want to be remembered. Let me ask you a question. How will you be remembered? So I got my family. They'll remember me. How will they remember you? When, when I think about those that have gone on, they're, they're, you look at the scriptures, one thing is sure about Absalom's point of view. Regardless of everything else that's wrong in Absalom's life, Absalom knew this. My life is finite, and I will not live forever. The Bible says in James 4, Whereas you know what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little while and then vanisheth away. The, the psalmist David says this, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. In other words, I go from here to here to here to here, and I'm gone. That's such a short span. You go, man, what if someone lives 110 years? What a long life that is. I saw a news reporter interviewing an old lady. She was 110. It was her 110th birthday, Justin. Check this out. The news reporter puts the, 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 the camera and the, the microphone on, and she goes, Aren't you excited that everyone from your family is coming over to celebrate your birthday for 110? Puts it over, she goes, not at all. <laughs> I mean, that, that was funny to me. I thought it was great. But the truth is, even if you live 110 years on this planet, 
eventually you're going to expire and your soul is going to dwell somewhere forever and ever and ever. Your life in this body is short. It is finite. It is limited. You won't be here forever. So my question is this. How will you leave your mark? How will you be? Remember, Job says, are not my days few? Jacob, at the end of his life, says that the years of his life uh, have been short, few, and evil. You say, well, what, how long do you live? 130 years. And he says, my years have been few and evil. You know what that tells you? It doesn't matter if you get 120, 130, 150. You will look back and go, man, it was just like a blink of an eye. Tomorrow, if you do, by chance, go and visit a tombstone, You'll notice that there's a birthday, a date of death, and then there's this dash in between. And the dash is where you're at right now. And you're supposed to do, if you're a born-again child of God, you're supposed to do something that leaves a spiritual and lasting legacy behind. Something that has eternal weight. So that when you're gone, the world will, maybe the world as a whole will not know. But there'll be some people that are left behind that will know that you were here, that you did something that impacted their life forever. How will you be remembered? Talking yesterday and showing the boys a picture and, and uh, it was on Facebook and maybe it was the day before yesterday and, and uh, one of the likes was from their papa, from Brother Billy. I said, look at that, papa, I like that picture. My mind started going back to him, and my mind started going back to Gideon Baptist Church in the 1990s, and how quickly life has flown by, and, and all I could think of is this. All I can think of is that, man, there's coming a day when uh, uh, we're going to get before the throne of God, and we're going to receive the rewards of the things done in this body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And I'm going to tell you something. There are people right now, there's one right here behind this pulpit that's here because of that man and the legacy that he left behind. So let me ask you, how will you be remembered? Well, I'm not a preacher, pastor. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a full-time ministry. That doesn't matter. Listen, I've known of Christians that have lived their entire lives, not in the spotlight, not in ministry, but man, when they're gone, it is felt because they left a legacy behind them. If you're here and you're not saved, can I say this? You won't live forever. It is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Oh, preacher, you're being morbid talking about the Tomorrow's Memorial Day. A day we remember those who are no longer here with us. It is a great chance to think about the fact that none of us will be here forever. I was sitting down talking to Brother Andy Hearn, a missionary uh, overseas, and he was in my house the other day and visiting, passing through. And I said, you know what, you know what scares me more than anything else? What scares me more than anything else is to be given 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And, and, and when I'm gone, not so much that people clap or there's a big funeral or any delusions of grandeur, but that when I'm gone, it is not felt in the lives of anyone around me. You say, well, your family would feel it. Besides them, who would feel it? I would like to think I left something with someone else that when I'm gone, it's still here and going on. The idea of not having that scares me. You say, why? Because I'm supposed to be like Jesus Christ. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ did? He left a legacy. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. He went about doing good. How will you be remembered? They remembered his words. They said, never man spake like this man. They remembered his love. How do you know that? Because Mary, the Marys went to the tomb to anoint his body with spices. They brought the best they could after he was no longer around. You say, what does that mean? That, that shows us that they remembered his kindness, his grace, his love, his words when he was gone. Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched in the minds of others and the stories they share about you. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in it. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. You know what that means? If all you're doing is living your life for yourself down here, when it's all said and done, you get nothing out of it. 
Well, preacher, I'm heaven bound. You're going to heaven. Pray. If you're saved, thank God, no matter how you live in this life, and I'm not recommending you try me out to prove that you can live like a lost person and be saved. I'm not saying that, that you should live that way. But I'm telling you, thank God, no matter what you do in this life, if you're saved, you are his child. You are heaven bound. But there are so many Christians that are content with simply being heaven bound. They have no desire to leave something behind. Well, I'm not an outspoken person. I'm kind of quiet. I'm an introvert. That has nothing to do with it. I knew an introvert that didn't know how to talk to people. You know what they did? They went to the phone, phone book. I don't, that doesn't exist anymore, does it? A big, a big book. We were watching a movie the other day. And my kids were like, what is that? Remember that, Emma? It was a phone book. She's like, what is that book? Remember when you could pay to have your number unlisted? Remember that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, the good old days. When there was a phone that was stuck to a wall and you didn't play games on it. It was for one purpose, making calls. Amen? But this lady went to a very, very shy woman, was not a real outspoken person. You know what she did? She went to the phone book and she went, started with A and went all the way to Z. You know what she did? She didn't even call people. She looked at the addresses, wrote the names down, wrote a hand, handwritten letter that says, I hope you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Put a gospel track in there and mailed it out. Thousands got saved. You say, what is that? Someone just wanted to do something to leave something behind when they're gone. Can I ask you one more time? How will you be remembered? The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast the very life that you lived. Jesus Christ left a legacy. Why? Because his life wasn't just about himself. His life was about the Father's will and serving others. People say all the time, WWJD, WWJD. I'll tell you what, WWJD, he wouldn't be a jerk like we are all the time. Amen? What would Jesus do? You know what he would do? He would think about others instead of himself. You know, if you talk about billionaires today, what, what name comes to mind? Think, think of some names, billionaires. Elon Musk, all right, there you go, there you go, Uncle Elon Musk, uh, 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 maybe, maybe Bill Gates, kind of a creeper, or Bill Gates, you know, a former uh, Steve Jobs who's now deceased, uh, you think of these, these names, how about going back, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, you know, people would have thought of Howard Hughes, and this guy, this guy's story is, is kind of fascinating, he was an American business magnate, record-setting pilot, engineer, film producer, and philanthropist, you say, what does that mean, man, he was really important. Everyone knew Howard Hughes back in the day. And the guy started the Howard Hughes Corporation and he, all these different things with his name attached to it so that when he was gone, everyone would think about him. When I say billionaire, no one in this room is thinking Howard Hughes. But they did 50, 60 years ago. Are you understand what I'm getting at? This man had everything that you would ever want. Man, he had all the women. He had all the money. He had the fame. He had power. And guess what? Toward the end of his life, the last 20 years of his life, you know how he lived? A germaphobe, recluse, addicted to painkillers. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you something right now. Money is not all there, there is in this life. And that's nothing wrong with being industrious and working hard and, and, and want to provide for your family. Nothing wrong with that. But you are going, even if you made all the billions, there's no, there's no assurance that your life will turn out. When they asked him one simple question at the end of his life, are you a happy man? His answer was no. What kind of legacy does he leave behind? Oh, his name's on these things. How does that affect your life? And I can point to some preachers who the world doesn't know. And there are people, every time they think about them, they smile. And there are people on the mission field reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of those men and women. And there are people that are teaching a Sunday school class somewhere because of those men and women. And there are kids that are now saved, being raised in a Christian home. Their dad is no longer an alcoholic because of those men and women. Are you understanding what I'm trying to get at? How will you be remembered? Time is going to pass. I think about a man named Jehoram in the Old Testament. I won't take you to the passage, but it simply says this. When he died, he departed without being desired. No one cared that he was gone. Let me tell you something. When you live for yourself, that is how that goes. When you live for the Lord Jesus Christ and something of eternal weight and value and you serve others with your life, it is completely different. Come with me if you would to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. 
when you got saved, now if you're not saved yet, can I encourage you to do something? Get saved today. Don't, don't put it off. The Bible says, we had just heard it earlier, what is your life is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanisheth away. It is appointed to men once to die, but after this a judgment, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. In that day, God shall judge the secrets of men. You don't want to wait till that day. That day will be too late. Today's the day of salvation. If you're not saved, let me tell you right now, you get a finite life and an eternal soul, and one is more valuable than the other. I'm not saying you don't care about your body, don't take care of your body. It's important to do that. This is the one vessel God gives you, the one temple he gives you to serve and all that stuff. But that being said, this is not going to outlast your soul. If you're not saved, that is the greatest preparation you can make for leaving this planet is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'd love to show you how to do that today. But I'm primarily speaking to saved people this morning, asking how will you be remembered? When you get saved, you know what God does? He puts the Spirit of God inside of you. and He has one word for you. That word is forward. Forward, forward, forward. Back is not an option. You know one of the hardest things that I'm sure the Lord watches with his own children? Someone gets saved, the light turns on, the life is there that was not there before, and all of a sudden they're excited, they're being a witness for Jesus Christ, they're going to church, and then something happens in their life somewhere that causes them to turn back. Hey, listen, let me say this. This happens with preacher's kids as well. This is not just for someone that got saved last week or last year. You can be saved living your life, and all of a sudden something happens it causes you to look back and question where you're at. Look at Luke 17. Look, if you would, at verse number 26 to kind of give you a little bit of context. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. You say, what are you talking about? What's he talking about? Judgment. Look at verse number 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He's talking about judgment, the second coming, and in light of all of those things, he talks about, listen, when it's time to move, this is a doctrinally a tribulation passage, but I want to apply it practically to your life and simply say this. The Lord says something very curious in verse 32. There's not another place in the Bible where he says, I want you to remember someone's wife. This is it. And it should stand out in your mind. He says, remember Lot's wife. Can I paint the picture like this for you, Christian? We are toward the end of time. Judgment is coming, and you as a child of God have no business turning back to the elements of this world. You have someone that is leading you and guiding you, and there are others looking at your example. Do not turn back. My question this morning is this. Some of you might be remembered, God forbid, for turning back. That's why she's remembered. You know, the angel said in Genesis 19, hey, we got all this instruction for you. Listen, we know why she looked back. I mean, if you go through the story, Lot goes uh, with Abraham and he leaves his father's house and, and eventually they sojourn in Egypt. And we don't read about Lot having a wife until after he leaves Egypt. So there's a good chance that Lot's wife is Egyptian. And so when Lot looks up in Genesis 13, if you're not familiar with the story, he looks up when his uncle says, hey, buddy, sorry, but this tower isn't big for the both of us. You got to select your direction. I'll go in the other direction. And so Lot lifts up his eyes, and he sees this beautiful place with lights flashing, you know, and, and everything says, go to Sodom, go to Sodom, go to Sodom, go to And I guarantee you, if Abraham were to stop and talk to Lot and go, Lot, I see the direction that you've chosen, Lot would have said something like this. I prayed about it. Thus, you cannot question my stupid decision. Because I prayed about it, and therefore, if I prayed about it, it's almost like, you know, you ever watch kids, and they're playing, you know, army, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden, the, the one boy shoots the other boy, and he goes, no, oh, pew, I got force field. That's like when I approach someone, I'm like, hey, I don't think that's a good idea what you're doing. Yeah, well, I prayed about it, preacher. Okay, fine. I think Lot would have said, I prayed about it. You say, what did Lot do? He looked up and he saw the greener grass over there and he said, man, honey, I could make a living over there. It would be great. And it looks a lot like Egypt used to look. Egypt being a picture of the world. 
He takes his wife there, and they get established, and then Lot becomes a leader in the community. And you know the whole story. There's a lot of perversion going on there in the city of Sodom and in Gomorrah, so much so that God says, I cannot. By the way, if you read the story, some of you that might think God's a mean God, you need to check it one more time. The Bible says their cry came up unto them. You say, whose cry? The children. You think God's a mean God because he burns out the town? You, don't, you, don't, you didn't see what he was watching. Change your perspective for a moment and stop blaming God for all the bad. You say, well, God burned it. Yeah, he did. He was judging that city for what they were doing to those children. And let me tell you something. If he lets us get away with it, he'll have to apologize to Simon Gomorrah as well. Do you understand where we're at today? Let me tell you something, Christian. We are getting closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. This is not the time to turn back. You know, the last thing that she does, the angel instructs her, he says, hey, whatever you do, look, go to the mountains, flee away, move on, move forward, but do not turn back. Look not behind me. You know what she does? Honey, I just got to look one more time. The Bible says she becomes a pillar of salt. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, have you seen the archaeological digs in that part of the world that show they found brimstone? and they can't explain where it came from? Ah, oh, I got a book that tells me about this. You should read it sometime. You know what happens? She becomes a pillar of salt. Her life is gone. Well, I don't get it. It's just like one look. Yeah, one look can change a lot of things. Just ask David about that. You know, she becomes useless. Her life is done. And Lot, with tears streaming down his face at the remembrance that this is something that I caused holding his daughter's hands and fleeing away, knowing that mom is not, honey, honey, her voice is gone. He knows she looked. She looked. Can I say this? There are some believers that don't realize how close we are to getting out of here. You know what they're doing? They're looking back. And you may not like this idea, but there are some things that may mark you for the rest of your life if you're not careful that you look back and, you know, that's how people, hey, how about no, no one says anything about how Lot's wife did raising the kids. No one ever talks about Lot's wife and any of her wonderful qualities that she may have actually had. All we know is she turned back. Well, that's not fair. Whether you like it or not, there's some things that we do in our lives that will cause people to look at us and remember that one thing. Can I ask you, how will you be remembered? You say, why would you look back? Well, I don't know. Why do some people look back today? They're convinced they need a former life. Maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe it's a dissatisfaction with God's direction for your life. Maybe it's just deception. I just need it one more time. You don't need it one more time. God brought you out of that life. Don't look back. C.S. Lewis says, there are far, far better things ahead than anything that we could ever leave behind. Albert Einstein, whether you agree with everything the man said or not, I think we can agree he's pretty smart. He said, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. You know why some Christians are out of balance? They keep looking back. I know I shared the story with you, but I'm going to share it again because I've got some old friends in here that will recall when Adrian got his license and almost killed his father. Driving away from the DMV in Widefield and excited about my permit. My dad sitting in the 1987, it was such a cool car, 1987 Dodge Caravan. Total chick magnet. <laughs> you know, I didn't have my car yet. And, uh, and so, I mean, I had a total chick magnet. 1987 Nissan Sentra. Who doesn't ride around, ride around with that bad boy, you know? I mean, going down the road. And I kept looking back in the rearview mirror. My dad's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Dad, that, that car's riding close to me. It doesn't matter. You can't look. You don't worry about them. You worry about what's ahead. All right, and I, I kept looking up. My dad's like, what are you doing? I said, Dad, they're riding on my tail. I think they want me to go faster. You don't worry about what's behind you. You're going to get us killed. And I kept doing it, not listening to, listen very carefully, not listening to the voice of my father. Are you getting the picture yet? I took that turn at almost 25 miles an hour. Complete one of these. Not like a curve. I mean like <laughs> my dad said Spanish words that I had not heard in a long time, Brother Elvin. <laughs> I mean, I heard them. Oh, we went into full prayer mode after that. Both of us did for different reasons. He said, what was the problem? 
I was looking behind me and I should have been looking in front of me. There's a man in the Bible named Demas. When I say his name, those of you that know the Bible, what do you think of? Anybody? Tim, go ahead. What do you got? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. But can I read some other verses? Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. This is Paul writing. You know he's saying, this guy Demas is one of us. He's working with me in the gospel. He's living right. He's doing right. Uh, Colossians 4, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. In other words, this Demas guy was around Paul quite a bit. But then at the end of Paul's life, he says this, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. And you know what I'm getting at? We don't remember all the work that he did prior. Here's all we remember. He quit. He turned back. David Livingston, great missionary, says, I'll go anywhere provided it be forward. We be remembered for turning back. How about this? Secondly, can I ask you this? Maybe, maybe you have turned back and you don't like some things in your life. You know you get them right. There's a man in the Bible named John Mark. And uh, John Mark, you might remember or recall the name Mark in your Bible for a number of reasons, one of which is it's the second gospel in the New Testament. And John Mark was a part of John, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas' missionary journey. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 12. When I, when I, when I mention coming back, and I, I say, Brother Joe, tell me a story in the Bible about someone that really made a mess of things and came back to their father's house. What goes through your mind? David? Who else? Prodigal son? There's another one. Well, let me ask you this. With the prodigal son, anyways, is the prodigal son the only son in the house? Why do we know that story as the prodigal son? Well, you say, well, it's because he's the one that went on the trip and all this. Let me throw it out to you this way. Maybe it's because after he made a mess of things, he at least had enough sense to come back. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter 12. We're going to learn about a young man named John Mark. Acts 12. Look, if you would, at verse number 25. But, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. This is a dynamic duo, right? When they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was? Next chapter, look at verse number 5. After they lay their hands on them and sent out Paul and Barnabas, look at verse 4. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And watch this. And they had also John, the same John from the last chapter, John Mark, they had also John to their what? You know what that tells me? On their first missionary trip, this guy tags along and goes along for the ride as the servant of Paul and Barnabas to minister to their needs. What great legacy does John Mark leave us in chapter 13? Well, look if you would at verse number 13. Watch out for 13.13, right? Look at 13.13. Unlucky number, right? That's how some people look at that. Well, when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, what does he do? Now, now listen, before you jump down John Mark's throat, if you'd read the whole chapter, which we didn't have time to do, there's kind of some weird stuff that happens, and I kind of think it wigs him out. Some would argue, like, what exactly happened? I don't know. Maybe John Mark was in over his head. Maybe he wasn't ready for that, kind of, that level of spirituality and that level of ministry. I don't know what the story is, but here's what I can tell you. It really doesn't matter. All we know is this. He starts off right, and he leaves them and messes up. Furthermore, go to chapter 15. Chapter 15. Look at verse number 36. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. We just read about this guy. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. 
And the contention was so sharp between them, Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and Silas and Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God, so on and so forth. What are you getting at? Not only does this guy leave the preachers that were sent out by the Holy Ghost and dumps them and leaves them and goes back home to Mama. I don't know where he goes, but he leaves them. And he goes back to wherever he came from. He leaves them high and dry. But furthermore, three chapters later, he's kind of at the root of the cause of the split between these two men. Sean, you're studying to be a, a minister, a servant of the Lord, going to Bible school online. If, if you could pick between Silas and John Mark, who would you pick? All right, not, not knowing the whole story, just where we're at right now. I'd pick Silas. I mean, most people probably pick, he, I mean, you don't know a whole lot about Silas, but here's what, you, here's what you know. He didn't dump you in the middle of a ministry trip. That's what you know about Silas. John Mark, on the other hand, you know what he does? He gets messed up. He turns back like we learned about before. And he messes up. And everyone looks at John Mark. And you know what they say about John Mark? Man, that guy could have been something. That guy could have done something great for God. But that guy messed up. And all they think about are John Mark's failures. And at this point in the story, that's all you have to go off of. Let me ask you this. Will you be remembered for turning back? Here's another question. Will you be remembered for coming back? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to fast forward in time quite a bit. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Pastor, you don't know how much I've messed up. I, I don't, but I, I got this for you. I got a great lawyer who can get you out of a lot of messes, amen? The Bible says we have an advocate with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, Listen, if you're lost, Jesus Christ will be your judge, but he's petitioning right now to be your defense lawyer instead. And guess what? He's never lost a case. Every sinner he presents before God the Father that's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ walks out of that courtroom justified in the sight of God. He wants to be your lawyer. And son, a child of God, if you're here and you're saved, can I say this? He is your lawyer. You remember that. You need to be able to go back to to your father through Jesus Christ and say, I've messed up. I looked back. I dropped the ball. I took my eyes off the prize. I did not go in the right direction. I turned back from whence you got me out of. God, the, the pit that you dug me out of, I found myself back in that pit. Like the Bible says in Proverbs, it's like a man, like, like a dog returning to its vomit. Awful picture mentally, I understand. But yet that's what it's like when a child of God turns back to the th- very things that God brought us out of. You say, preacher, I got saved when I was five. I wasn't into drugs. and You know, you hear these testimonies, right? You know, Brother Spurgeon's coming in October. Well, I was in a biker gang, second biggest gang in the Eastern United States. <laughs> Vice President of the Outlaws. You know, that, that's Brother Spurgeon, right? And, and the kid sits there and the kid goes, oh, I guess I don't really have a testimony because I was just sitting in Miss Rachel's Sunday school class and she asked if anyone wanted to get saved, and I said yes. And so that kid sits there and goes, I don't, I don't, you know, and then you grow up in church if you're like that, and you, you go, well, I don't have much of a testimony. Oh, let me tell you right now, you can testify all day long, if that's you, about everything that God kept you away from. And, say, and by the way, if you can't do that, maybe go back and go, you know what? Maybe it wasn't drugs. Maybe it wasn't a life of being addicted to pornography and drugs and, and drinking and being in the poor house and the jailhouse and whatever other house and the sad house and the depressed house and all that. Maybe it was just this. I'm proud. God had to break me of my pride. And I keep turning back to that. And I'm insecure. And so I gossip about other people because I'm insecure about me. So I want to shine the light on them. I don't want them looking at me. So I do that, and I keep going back to that. You can always turn back. I don't care when you got saved. It's up to you as a child of God when you do that to not make that your lasting legacy. And maybe consider, instead of just turning back, after you've turned back to the things that God says he doesn't want you being a part of, to maybe come back. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's at the end of his life. And at the end of his life, Paul's thinking about a lot of people. I mean, if you're at the end of your life and you're thinking about, man, I'm ready to go on the chopping block and your head's going to roll for the testimony of Jesus Christ, which was what it was like to be a first century Christian. If I can be honest with you, it's what it's like to be a a 21st century Christian in North Korea and maybe in China and other places of the world where what we're doing right now is completely taken for granted by us. And Paul says, look, if you would, at verse number 5, as Paul is speaking to Timothy, his young protege, if you will, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. That means preach the gospel, make full proof of thy ministry. That means don't quit, don't, don't stop pushing yourself, don't stop proving what God's given you, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my what? It's that hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but on all them also that love is appearing. You know why you ought to get excited about Jesus Christ coming back if you're saved? Because if nothing, if nothing else, you can be given a reward for just that. You go, well, of course I'm going to be excited. Well, I don't know about that. There have been times. I mean, my... Boys, you guys love me, right? Ethan, are you aware that I'm talking? Okay. You, you love me, right? Kind of? Okay. All right. All right. I love you too. All right. You love me, right? Oh, yes. I think I have to say yes. There's a camera. Emma, you love me? Yeah. Right. Can I ask you another question? When you guys have disobeyed, now, not that you would ever do this, but have there ever been times where maybe... Mom told you to do something and it didn't quite go the way mom wanted it to. And then I come home. And then mommy's kind of quiet and she goes, tell your daddy. <laughs> now, as much as, as much as you love me, you're probably not excited to see me at that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I, can I apply that to all? As Miss Cindy would say, all y'all. <laughs> can, I, can I apply it to all of us as children of God? We love them. But sometimes, I can tell you what, depending on what's going on in your life, you may not be excited to see him. He says, unto them also that love is appearing. He's talking about the end. He's looking at the end. This is what you got to do today. Consider your end. And Paul's going, I'm at the end. I did what I could. I fought the fight. I finished my course. Man, I'm ready to meet my Savior. I can't wait for that day. (laughs) I've preached about him. I've talked about him. Pray to him, talk to him. Someday I'm going to see him face to face. I cannot imagine that. Then he goes on to say this. Look at verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. You know what he's saying? I don't have much time. Come as quick as you can. Paul's very aware of his finite life at this point. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We read about that. But can I give you a little, a little bit of sunshine in the midst of those that turn back? Some don't stay turned back. Some eventually make their way back in the right direction. And if that's you, can I tell you, you can make your way back in the right direction. Can I, can I ask you this? If you were the guy that deserted the missionaries and you're the guy that helped split up the dynamic duo of Paul and Barnabas, and everywhere you go, they're like, oh, yeah, we heard about you. You know how Christians are. Oh, oh, you're, oh, that's that guy. I don't know you would ever do that, right? You'd never do that in, in church, right? But someone walks in, you go, oh, oh. And listen, by the way, if someone makes their way into church after not being around for a long time, do not, for the love of all things holy and pure, do not walk up to them and go, where are you been? <laughs> Notice you haven't been around. That doesn't really go over so well. And honestly, if I was backslidden and I wasn't right with God, I'd probably just punch you in the face and walk out. <laughs> you say, oh, preacher, you wouldn't. Well, you, you don't, don't test it. I'll just let's, stay, let's all stay right with God, shall we? Amen? <laughs> Look at what he says here in verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Man, I, I love this, though. It literally breathes 
hope. In my mind's eye, I can see some John Marks. I sure am thankful when they come back. I had a friend of mine who was in the Bible Institute that I had a part starting in Tennessee, and I won't go into his whole story, but God was calling him into the ministry, and he knew he was supposed to go to Bible school, and at the time, his wife wasn't really down with that idea. And he didn't go. See what happened. We're not together today. I'm not saying this to rejoice at all. Please don't get the wrong impression. I prayed for that guy for years. A couple of years ago, he called me and said, been listening to your messages. He said, brother, I've been in the far country. My wife and I are together and I sure haven't made a mess of things. If you've ever tried to help someone, especially teach them the word of God and you, you see their life going the wrong direction, it breaks your heart. He said, I just want you to know, I'm coming home. You can make the argument, it would have been better if he'd never left. Sure. But he will not go down with the legacy of those that just turned back. He'll be one that came back. Peter comes back, David comes back, John Mark comes back. I've often wondered why the prodigal son is always referred to that way. He has an older brother who's kind of an important figure as well. But we don't call it the story of the older brother. But if you read that chapter in Luke 15, you read that chapter, can I say this? The real prodigal was at home the entire time. His heart was in the right place. He just never physically left. We know the prodigal son's story. Why do we know it as the story of the prodigal son? I think this because as much of a mess as he made, he at least recognized it's time to go home. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Aren't you thankful you can hide under him? Hide me, O oh my Savior, hide. Till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven, God, O oh, receive my soul at last. My favorite verse, however. Plenteous grace. With thee is found grace to cover all my sin. I'm so thankful that when we make a mess, we can come back. Let the healing streams abound, make and keep me pure within. Micah said this about your God, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. When I read in 2 Timothy 4, take Mark, look at, look at verse 11. Take Mark and bring him with thee. Why? He's profitable unto me for the ministry. Here's a guy that literally left them high and dry. And the man that writes half of your New Testament says, bring that guy. He's profitable. Oh, there's a sermon in what made him profitable. There's a sermon in Barnabas doing what he does to bring John Mark back. But can I just say this? Thank God that John Mark made his way back. Look at Mark 14. You say, why are you so thankful John Mark came back? There's this thing called the gospel of Mark. 
You want to guess who it's written by? You'd be missing a book of your Bible if you hadn't gotten right with God. And I'm just glad that Paul was not so proud that he refused to acknowledge that when John Mark got right, he was profitable for the ministry's sake. Mark chapter 14, let me ask you this in closing. Will you be remembered for turning back? Will you be remembered for coming back? Will you be remembered for pouring out? There are two ways to look at life, Christian. I have to hold on to everything that I have. Ever see kids in the nursery? You know one word that no one has to teach them? Mine. You know? You watch them. And like once the nursery worker turns their head, mine. They don't have to be taught that. That's kind of naturally within all of us. Two ways to look at life. I have to hold on to everything that I have or I have so much time to pour it out before I'm done. I like that this woman in Mark 14 took the latter approach versus the former. Mark 14, look if you would at verse number 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box. There's nothing that God can do with your life unless you're willing to allow him to break the box. I don't know what the box may be in your life. Maybe it's a certain aspiration. Maybe it's I won't be happy until. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your, I don't know, your job, your money. I don't know what it is. But if you don't, you want God to take what's inside and use it for something that's eternal and lasting forever, you have to allow him to break the box. He poured it. The Bible says she broke the box and poured it out in his head. And like a typical church service, there's someone there to complain about it. I think Christians are the best people in the world. But let's be honest, we're still human. I'm not saying that out of pride. I think Christians are the best people and the meanest devils all in the same bunch. Amen? And you go, amen, the meanest, we're all, we all have been on both sides of that coin. They started to complain and they call what she did a waste in verse 4. And then they go on to explain how it could have been used for the poor in verse 5. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. Let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a what? A good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me have not always. She hath done what she could. Watch this. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a what? In other words, what she did in that one moment of finite time will be remembered forever and ever and ever. And even in the millennium, when someone breaks open the gospel of Mark and starts reading about that, we're going to pipe in and say, yeah, I read about that lady. By the way, she's just down the road. There she is. Hey, let's grab her. Let's ask her what you thought about that day. You know what she would say? I was just doing what I knew was the right thing to do. I had no idea that it would be recorded in Scripture and that forever and ever and ever that one small thing that I did would be remembered by God and His people. And yet there it is. Can I ask you a question? Will you be remembered for holding back or for pouring out? There's a story in Acts about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. You know what it says about them? They kept back part of the price. You say, why? I've got to hold on to it. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to hold on to control. got to hold on to my family. I've got to hold on to the money. And it says saying, you know what, God, this is yours. My money's yours. My schedule's yours. My heart is yours. My direction is yours. My thoughts are yours. My kids are yours. Lord, everything in my life is yours. And Lord, you've given it to me. I want to pour that back out. You say why? Because if you hold on to it in this life, you take nothing with you. Nate Saint, the great missionary martyr, said, people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they'll have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they wasted. When James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, 
The ship captain tried to turn him back, saying, you'll lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. To that, Calvert replied, we died before we came here. Can I ask you a question? How will you be remembered for holding back and for pouring out? There's a man named Epaphroditus that Paul talks about. And, and he says this in so many words. You Philippians, you're great people. I love you. And talks about their charitable giving and some other things. But he said, you know what? There were some things that you could have done that you didn't do. And because you weren't doing your part, this guy Epaphroditus almost killed himself. Worked himself almost to death to supply for your lack. In other words, he said, you know what? You know what? Epaphroditus said to himself, if I go out, I'd rather burn out for Jesus Christ than hold back and wish and regret that I didn't give everything to him. And Paul lets it be known. He says, hey, you know Epaphroditus, he's my brother. He's my fellow laborer. He's my fellow soldier. And he, he almost died because you weren't willing to pick up your weight. You know why? Because you're too busy holding back and holding on. Instead of saying, Lord, it's yours. You won't be remembered for holding back and holding on. You'll be remembered for pouring out. So let me ask you as a Christian one more time. How will you be remembered? Over in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story about it. these thieves on the crosses next to Jesus. And most of you know the story, so I won't go to the passage, but... They start off both kind of making fun of the Lord, and eventually the one realizes, man, this guy's not like us, bro. We're here because we deserve, we get, we, we're getting what we deserve, but this man's different. And, and, and he starts talking to the Lord directly, and he starts talking to me. He says, hey, Lord, would you remember me when thou comest? He repents. He has a change of mind and heart. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What does the Lord say to him? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In other words, I will remember you. Aren't you glad, as a child of God, that when you called out to him, he said, I'll remember you. You know what the, one of the saddest things in the world is? At the great white throne judgment, someone gets up there and says, but I went to church and I taught Sunday school and I did this and I did that. You know what the Lord's going to say? I know of you, but we never actually formally met. Depart from me, for I never knew you. You ever run into someone that, like, they know who you are and you don't know who they are? It's really frustrating. <laughs> oh, Brother Mingus, so good to see you. Online. And, you know, it's easy with Christians. You go, hey, brother. You don't have to say their name. Bro, it's so good to see you. You remember me, right? Oh, yeah. No idea who you are. I mean, we went to, we were as missionaries, we went to 200 churches or whatever, and, and 20 some years later, some guy runs into me at a conference. He's like, you remember me? I don't know. I, I barely remember my own kids' names anymore, man. Give me a break. You want me to remember by the Lord? You better get saved. If you're saved, do you want God? If you're saved, can I say this? God is not unrighteous to forget your labor and work of love. You know what that means? He'll remember you. He'll remember you. My question is this: How will you be remembered? Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that at this time of invitation, Lord, that your people would respond accordingly that they would see this, Lord, as an invitation, Lord, not from the pastor, but from the Holy Spirit of God to consider their end, maybe, to consider, Lord, what kind of legacy is being left behind. Lord, tomorrow as we celebrate Memorial Day and consider those that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our nation, would you help us as believers, Lord, to stop and to consider how we will be remembered. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here that isn't saved, that they would truly and genuinely be concerned with the fate of their soul and understand that not everyone's automatically getting in. As the world says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Lord, I pray that they would get to know you today. 
Every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray you take advantage of the altar. Just ask you. Got a number of young people up here, which is a blessing. But can I be honest with you? They're pretty far from the end for most part. If you're toward the end, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be thinking a little bit harder about this. What am I leaving behind? What legacy will I leave? How will I be remembered for eternity's sake? Don't you want your life to to count for something eternally? I do. If you're saved here today, you know where it starts? It starts with deciding today. I'd encourage you to, whether you come to the altar right now physically or have an altar there at your seat, but man, don't just go, this is the part of the service where, you know, the the piano plays and I'm thinking about lunch and then we're going to be gone in a couple minutes. This is where you stop and consider the message. Because I guarantee you this, when you go to the car and turn the radio on and go to lunch, the music's blaring and everything else is going on in life, the message will no longer seem as critical as it does right now. What are you doing today that will help you be remembered for something that lasts? Maybe some of you have been here, you've been saved for a while, maybe trying to serve God, and you just kind of, I don't know, maybe a little dry. Maybe remember why you're doing this. I want to meet him. I want to see him face to face. I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I I want to finish the right way. I want to leave something behind me that others can pick up and carry on in their lives so that they can also leave something behind those that are following them and so on and so forth. If you're saved, it's the reason that you're here. Because someone left something for you. Take my life and let it be. to challenge you a little bit and ask you maybe to look at your calendar this week. Look at the things that you have to do. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna challenge you. How can you take those things that you have to do and bring eternal value to them? I don't know, maybe it seems like a dumb or crazy idea to some people to take a tent to a park and bring some coolers and water bottles and Gatorades or whatever and hand them out. Preacher, don't you have other things to do? Yeah, sure, but man, I, I, I know where we're at on God's timeline. I know our time is short. And, and I want to do something... For years we would say, we have to reach the heathen. We have to reach the heathen. And that translates into, we need to go overseas. And some need to. I'm not saying that's not a need. But I look around at our city and I look around at our state. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. We're living in a society of people that don't know God. They are the heathen. I don't mean that like in a derogatory term. I mean they don't know God. Do something with your life that will matter for eternity. Look, it's not this one grand thing. I, I go on a missions trip, and that's great, praise the Lord, where I do this one big thing. That, those are good things, but it's just everyday living. How can I deposit something in that heavenly bank that's going to be there when I get there? How can I leave something behind? What am I building so that when I'm gone, There'll be some people. The world doesn't, I don't care if the world, I don't care if Time and Life magazine or the the internet blow up with, I don't care about any of that. But I would pray that there be some lives who are better for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
because of something I said, something I did. We will too, probably sooner than we realize, find ourselves saying, the time of my departure is at hand. And when we do, we want to know that there's something that we left of eternal value behind us. something really, really clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with 401ks and mutual funds and retirement planning. Those are all great things. But I will tell you, it blows my mind how many believers have made plans for that. Like every week you're checking your 401k, ooh, how's it doing? Last year was a rough year. <laughs> you're, you're looking at those things. What if you had like a snapshot of your spiritual eternal 401k? Would you check it every week? You're leaving something behind. Let's, let's aim for something that's eternal in value. Thank you for coming today. And uh, let me say this. If you're here and you're not saved, the main, the main part of the message was directed at believers, but, but if you're not saved yet, you've never been born again, can I encourage you not to leave this place without grabbing me or Brother Sean or brother T- someone else that may open up a Bible and tell you what it means to be saved. It is the greatest change that can ever happen in your life, hands down. And we want you to experience that. Let's go, Lord, in prayer today. Thank you for being out. Wednesday night, we will be uh, starting a new series on spiritual warfare and what the Bible says about that. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be honoring our high school graduates. We would have done it today, but many of them are out of town. So we'll be doing that next uh, uh, Sunday. And we'll have a teen fundraiser ice cream out in the parking lot after the morning service as well. Hope you can take a part of that. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Brother uh, Tim, if you would, dismiss us in a word of prayer. We hope to see you Wednesday night.